our church is in the middle of a sermon series called I Doubt It. Last week, we dealt with the question of what happens, what's going on in my life when I begin to doubt God's power and presence. Is God really real? Is God really in control? Is God at work in my life? And we dealt with some of those questions last week. How do I, how do I handle some of those things? And we put together a webpage on our church website, emmausokc.org slash doubt. And we're continuing every week to add more material to that webpage. If you have questions about doubt, if you have family members or friends who are struggling with doubt in their lives, that you could point them. And I have all my sermon notes for this morning already loaded onto that page. So if you wanna follow along with sermon notes, they're on that, on that webpage. This morning, we're dealing with the question of what happens when I begin to doubt my salvation? And there are many of you here this morning that would say, I don't know anything about that. Like, I, I've been saved, I know I'm saved, God has radically transformed my life, and to that I say praise God. But there are a lot of us who struggle with that question and have struggled with that question, and we need your encouragement and your mercy and your help during that time. And then next week, we're gonna finish up this little sermon series by talking about, I doubt whether or not God can actually use me. Like, can God use my life to impact somebody else, and if so, how does that happen? And so if you're here and you say, I know I'm a Christian, I've been around church for a long time, but I'm really not sure that God could really use my life to impact somebody else's life, next week is for you. Next week is what it looks like for that to happen, happen in your life. I wanna pray for us as I get started, and then we're gonna jump into this topic of what does it look like to doubt salvation? Father, thank you for what it means to gather together as a church like this. For people who are connecting online who would love to be here in person and just aren't able to. God, we know that when we get together like this, some of the most important ministry that happens are conversations that happen before and after the worship service. And then when we come together to sing and to pray and to turn to scripture, God, that our hearts will be open. I know we're busy. I know it can feel warm in a room like this. I know there's a lot of things in our minds. But God, this morning, would you cut through all of that? Would you cut through all of that and help us to deal with this question of knowing whether or not we're saved and that you would give us an assurance that would not lead to pride, but it would lead to peace and peace that allows us to turn around and minister to others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I wanna begin by reading a couple of pages to you from a little book, and I emphasize little, so if you're scared of reading, uh, this is a book for you, but a little book by J.D. Greer that's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, How to Know for Sure You Are Saved. If you have questions about your salvation, if you know of people who struggle with salvation, this is a great little book to address some of those things. It's not perfect. The perfect book is right here. That's God's word. But this is a helpful book, and if money would prevent you from getting access to this book, contact me. I'll buy a copy for you. We'll read through it together. I'll buy a copy for you and a friend and a family member. You can read through it together. But, but it's a helpful little book to deal with this question. So I want to begin at the beginning of, of his book. And here's how he begins. J.D. says, If there was a Guinness Book of World Records record for amount of times having asked Jesus into your heart, I'm pretty sure I would hold that record. By the time I reached the age of 18, I'd probably asked Jesus into my heart 5,000 times. I started somewhere around age four when I approached my parents one Saturday morning asking how someone could know they were going to heaven. They carefully led me down the Romans road to salvation. 
and I gave Jesus his first invitation into my heart. Both my parents and my pastor felt confident in my sincerity, and I was baptized. We wrote the date in my Bible, and I lived in peace for nearly a decade. One Friday night during my ninth grade year, students, during my ninth grade year, my Sunday school teacher told us that according to Matthew chapter 7, many people who think they know Jesus will awaken on the final day to a reality that they never actually knew him. Though they had prayed a prayer to receive Jesus, they had never truly been born again. They would, my teacher explained, be turned away from heaven. I was terrified. Would I be one of those who was turned away? Had I actually been sorry for my sins at age five? And could I have really known what I was doing at that time? So, in, 19, or in ninth grade, I asked Jesus to come into my heart again. This time with the resolve to be more intentional about my faith. I requested rebaptism and gave a very moving testimony in front of our congregation. Case closed, right? Wrong. Not long after that, I found myself asking, had I really been sorry enough this time around? Would I have died for Jesus at that moment if he'd asked? So you know what I did? I prayed the sinner's prayer again and again and again, each time trying to get it right. I would have a moment when I felt like I get it, got it right, but it would fade quickly and I would question it all again. I walked a lot of aisles during those days. I think I've been saved at least once in every denomination. <laughs> because I understood baptism to be a post-salvation confession of faith, each time I gained a little assurance, I felt like I should get rebaptized. Four times total. Honestly, it got pretty embarrassing. I became a staple at our church's baptism services. I got my own locker in the baptismal changing area. It was a wretched experience. My spiritual life was characterized by cycles of doubt, aisle walking, and submersion in water. I could not find the assurance of salvation no matter how often or how sincerely I asked Jesus into my heart. I don't know if that resonates with anybody, but there are those of us in our room in this room, who, who know that feeling. And this quote up on the screen from Donald Whitney has gotten my attention this last week. Donald Whitney says, Satan has made it his business to convince Christians that they're not going to heaven and convince non-Christians that they are. Why does this issue of doubt matter? What does it mean to doubt your salvation? What are we talking about here? We're talking about life or death, eternity questions this morning. I realize in church, we don't use this approach a lot anymore because it's been overused and misused in the past, but can I ask you an extremely direct question this morning? If your life were to end today, what would be next? Again, I know that question in church has been misused and overused at times, but it's an important question. And it's a question that should absolutely get our attention today. If my life was to end today, do I know that I would be with God forever? Where is my assurance? Where do I turn for a question like that? When you're talking about that question, the place to go in the Bible, the place to begin is the book of 1 John. I've already asked you to open there. If you've got your phone open or your Bible open, 1 John. If you struggle with the question of salvation or doubting your salvation, the book of 1 John has five chapters. There are five days in this upcoming work week. Let me urge you, if you don't have a Bible reading plan, 
or if you're trying to nail down this question of personal salvation, can I urge you this week to read through the book of 1 John? And even better, read through it one chapter at a time, allowing somebody else to do that with you. Don't go through that process by yourself, but, but find somebody around you and say, would you read through the Bible with me this week? We're gonna read one chapter a week. We're gonna go through the book of 1 John. It's a great place to, to go through it. I wanna focus your attention on two verses this morning. Chapter five, verses 12 and 13. Going to the very end of the book, 1 John chapter five, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Two categories of people, not three, not four, not five, two categories of people. Those who have life and those who do not have life. What's the difference? Whether you have the Son, speaking of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, or whether you do not. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How can you know that you have eternal life? You believed in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, what he has done for you. Now, 1 John, in your Bible, was given to us because there were challenges with false teachers who were coming up in the church. And these false teachers in the church were beginning to cause people to doubt. They were doubting the truths about Christianity. They were doubting salvation. They began to deny a lot of the claims about Jesus, who Jesus was and what he had come to do. And these false teachers were causing divisions in the church. And so 1 John is written to address these types of questions. And John is writing to say, you can know. You can know what it is to have salvation. You can know who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And it's found here in the truths of God's word. And so they're battling back against all of these doubts, all these questions. All you have to do to have assurance is to believe. And you should be arguing with me at that point. <laughs> you should be saying, yeah, 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 but, but wait a second. Isn't there another verse in the Bible that says even the demons believe in God and shudder? Here is where it's so important that we understand what it means to believe. That saving belief, saving faith, is not just knowing a fact in your head. It's not just knowing something to be theologically true, to be theoretically true. It's that you have staked your life on it. That you have surrendered your life to that truth. That that is where your hope is found. And so yes, the demons know and believe that there is a God. They know what Jesus has done, but they have not put their trust in him. They have not surrendered their life to him. They have not raised the white flag and said, God, I surrender myself to you. Belief is not just knowing something to be true, it's giving your life to it. It's putting your trust in it. One of the ways in this little book that I talked about a few minutes ago, one of the ways that J.D. Greer describes belief is he uses a chair. So I brought this chair out here to, to describe this. And hopefully I don't walk too far off the camera and you guys, can, you guys can keep me in the shot for people at home. I can believe that this chair is over here. That it exists, it's a fact, I can see it, I've got, I've got the chair there. But do I really believe that that chair can hold me up unless I come down and I actually sit in the chair? 
And thankfully the chair didn't break because that would have destroyed the illustration. But uh, I got a very sturdy chair so the illustration would not fall apart. Now I've put my trust. Now I've acted on that faith and I'm saying I believe, I trust, I'm putting my weight on it. This is how. Now, let me ask you a question. How can I have assurance that this chair is going to hold me up? Because I sat in it. Because I believed in it, because I put my trust in it, that's how I have assurance. When I'm standing over here, I can believe that that chair exists, I can know it's over there, but it's separate from me. I'm not gonna have assurance until I come around and I believe in the name of the Son of God. I put my faith in him, I put my trust, I put the weight of my life in his hands, that he is in control. How do I know that I have salvation? Because I believe, because I sat down, because I experienced the goodness of God in my life. This idea of belief and what it truly means to believe, Jesus dealt with in Mark chapter one. Belief is one side of the coin that's given in scripture, Mark chapter 1, verse, 45, verse 14 and 15, when Jesus comes, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. How do we get ourselves to the point of believing? We have to turn away from trusting ourselves and put our faith fully in Jesus to sit down in that chair. Repentance and belief are two sides of the same coin of experiencing the salvation of God in our lives. We turn away from trusting in ourselves or something else, and we turn to Jesus and trust in him. And don't miss this from the Bible. Repent and believe, those are not just one-time things you do and then move on from Repentance and belief is the very nature of the Christian life. It's the posture of the Christian life that I'm saying, I'm not gonna put my trust in anything else, but I'm gonna continue to believe in Jesus. He's where my hope is found. He is where I find salvation. So let's walk through this this morning. What causes someone to doubt their salvation? I wanna give you five things this morning that tend to cause people to doubt their salvation. Number one, they can't clearly remember their conversion or their baptism. Maybe it's because it happened early in life, or maybe, and walking with people as a pastor as they get older in life and memory begins to go, there can be a lot of spiritual tension and angst later in your life when you begin to think, I, I don't know that I truly remember what happened to me when I was younger. I don't fully remember my baptism when I was younger. I love this quote from Greer because it kind of guides where we're gonna go in the minutes ahead. He says, don't try to find assurance from a prayer you prayed in the past. Find assurance by resting in the present on what Jesus did in the past. How can I know that I'm saved? In this minute, my life, my hope is found in Jesus. I don't look back to a prayer I prayed or something that happened in the past to give me assurance of salvation. Now, we celebrate that. That's when my faith in Jesus began. That's when I was made new. We celebrate that. But the assurance of salvation is that my faith continues, that my, my hope is placed in Jesus today. And when we just look back to our conversion, our baptism, we haven't looked far enough back. Assurance comes because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. And so sometimes we doubt our salvation because we can't remember fully our conversion or, or our baptism Parents, <laughs> grandparents, 
This is the weight we feel. This is the tension we feel when talking to our kids and our grandkids about faith. Are they ready to trust in Jesus? Are they ready to take the step toward, toward baptism? How do we go through this? Well, we know from Scripture that little kids can trust in Jesus. In fact, Jesus doesn't tell little kids to become adults to follow him. He tells adults to become like little kids to follow him. So we know that kids can fully trust in Jesus. And then we have the responsibility to disciple them, to take them on that journey. If you're battling that tension with your own kids or your own grandkids, on this website that we've built for this sermon series, our EmmausOKC.org doubt, about halfway down the website, there's a button that will take you to a document we put together for you that has some points that might be helpful in talking with your kids and grandkids about salvation. If you don't have good access to the internet or don't know how to get that, just let me know and I'll get you a copy of it. But point number one, the reason so many of us doubt our salvation is because we just can't remember it. It happens so early in life. Point number two for the reason people doubt their salvation has to do with personality or, or personal experiences that you've been through. Some people with their personality, they're just so hard on themselves and constantly thinking about these things and wondering, am, am I good enough? Or maybe you're a very emotional person and you feel close to God when your emotions are up and then when life is hard, your emotions are down and you tie your salvation to those emotions. <laughs> so when I feel great and life is going well, yay, I have assurance in Jesus, and then when my emotions go down, am I really a Christian? And you ride that roller coaster, and friends, that roller coaster is exhausting. It's exhausting for you, and it's exhausting for those around you, for everyone involved, because you're constantly riding the wave. Your salvation in the hands of Jesus is not based on your daily emotions or circumstances in life. Can I just set you free from that? Your hope of salvation, your hope for eternity, is not based on your daily emotions or your circumstances in life, that Jesus is in control, that you can trust him. This personal experiences, sometimes people begin to doubt salvation because of things that have happened to them. When you experience trauma, when you go through suffering, especially spiritual trauma, spiritual abuse, it can start to make you ask questions about, am I really a Christian? Do I really believe these things? Do I really, am I really going in this direction? Which kind of leads into number three, a reason people doubt their salvation is because they're exposed to different viewpoints or different people. Kids follow Jesus in high school, teenagers follow Jesus in high school, and then they get to college and they start to experience different things. Or, or even this last week, I was, um, I was reminded of missionaries that go around the world and share the gospel with other people. And as they begin to do that, they can begin to have questions about, what does it really mean to be saved? Is Jesus the only way to experience salvation? And like we talked about last week, the answer is not to close our, ourselves off from other viewpoints, but it's to deal with these questions in, in a really healthy way. Number four, some people doubt their salvation because they're living in sin. They've rebelled against God. They've disconnected from God's word and from church. And in these moments, conviction is a great gift from God. When you're living in sin and you sense this conviction and wonder, man, Someone who's saved, would they be living like this? That's a really, really good question to be asking because it says you're dealing with these things. You're trying to find answers. You're trying to find the way forward. When it comes to conviction, let me just remind you of this distinction and 
man, this will be helpful with so many areas of your life. In the Bible, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul tells us there's a difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is, I'm sorry I got caught. I'm sorry that happened to me. I wish I wouldn't have gotten caught. And what usually happens? We just continue to live the same way we were living before. Godly sorrow leads to a repentance that leads to life. There's a difference in worldly sorrow, I'm sorry I got caught, and godly sorrow, Jesus saved me. I cannot live that way. I turn back to you. I put my trust in you. We're trying to see the difference between those two. Number five, we just have forgotten or been taught wrongly about the gospel. You will have doubt of salvation if you don't have a clear grasp on the gospel message, if you've lost sight of what God has done in your life. This is why Jim, when Jim would preach over the years here at Emmaus, one of the phrases that Jim would use over and over and over again is one thing we need to do every day is preach the gospel to ourselves. Preach the gospel, remind yourself of what is true in Christ, and hear the gospel clearly, the truth of God's word. I love this little story that I found this week from a man named Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon is one of the most famous preachers of of all time, and he has this quote. Now remember, this quote is coming from one of the most famous preachers of all time. I have told you before that there was a time in my life I began to feel a great depression in my spirit. I even began to wonder if I was really saved. So having a holiday and being away from home, I went to the Wesleyan Chapel and a local preacher occupied the pulpit that morning. Now that may not mean a lot to you, but this is such a cool Spurgeon moment. Spurgeon is famous among people who are more reformed in in their theology, and again, I know that's a big theology word, it may not be a, a lot, but it gets people into all kinds of online debates and you know, whole, whole books and websites are developed and enemies are made over these type of things. He's super, super reformed. What does he do on his vacation? He goes to the Wesleyan Chapel, which is on the other side of this idea. Like this is such a beautiful idea. 2022, he would have written a blog post against the Wesleyan Chapel, but like he goes there and, and he hears the gospel from a different perspective. While this man preached a sermon full of the gospel, Tears flowed from my eyes, and I had such joy on hearing the gospel, which I so seldom have an opportunity to do. And I said, oh yes, there is spiritual life within me, for the gospel can touch my heart and stir my soul. The reason you might be doubting your salvation is it's just been a while since you slowed down and heard the gospel message and were reminded of how good Jesus is. And so in a few minutes, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I just want to take you through the gospel message. Before we get there, a couple of responses to avoid. A couple of things not to do if you're doubting your salvation. Don't say things like, well, it doesn't really matter if I ever get this figured out, or I'm never going to be able to get this figured out. We're not going to give up on this. In fact, assurance of salvation is one of the great gifts that God gives us children that you can know. And so we're not gonna say it doesn't matter because it does matter. If you go through your whole life not knowing whether or not you're right with God, that's not gonna be a life that is gonna lead you to peace and joy and hope in Christ. And at the same time, we're not gonna say it's impossible because it is, you can know. First John chapter five, verse 13 says, 
I wrote these things so that you could know that you're saved, that those who believe in the name of the Son of God can know that they have salvation. So we can know. Number two, what are we not going to do? We're not going to lapse into what I'm calling easy believism. (laughs) This is an approach that says, yeah, you know what? Years ago, I prayed a prayer at Vacation Bible School, and I was baptized in my grandparents' church years ago, and I'm good. Like, you know, I believed in Jesus. I believe there's a God that exists. I'm going to be fine. I want to say this with the right tone and and as gently as I can because what I'm talking about right here is our family members and our friends, and it may be many of you in this room. If your perspective is, oh, I did that years and years ago, but nothing in my life up to this point has shown faith in Jesus, friends, there is nothing in the Bible that gives you assurance of salvation. I'm not saying that you're not saved, and I'm not questioning the salvation of your family members or your friends, but I am telling you that New Testament faith is enduring faith. New Testament faith, saving faith, endures to the end. It shows the work of the Holy Spirit. And so if we're gonna lapse into this approach like, oh, it's no big deal, I dealt with that in the past, that is not the teaching of the New Testament. New Testament faith is today I'm putting my hope in Jesus. Today I'm turning to him for salvation. But there's an opposite side to that. Number three, another response that we're not gonna take is what we're gonna call tortured self-introspection. And if you can say all three of those words together, extra points, but tortured self-introspection, this is the type of person that just beats themselves up day after day after day. This is the person who comes to me as the pastor and says, Pastor, I just haven't done enough to go to heaven one day. I, I, I just can't get this figured out. I just haven't done enough. Can I set you free? that you cannot do enough to go to heaven one day? Like, let that, let that be a gift for you this morning. There is not enough good things that you can do to go to heaven one day. But what Jesus has done for you makes that possible when you put your life in his hands and trust in him. Number four, a response to avoid is just to say, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll do what J.D. Greer said. I'll just, I'll just get baptized again, or I'll just pray the prayer again. I'll just walk the aisle again. Like if, maybe if I just do something else, then my conscience will be clear. There's a better way. There, there's a better path forward, and I want to show it to you this morning. Number one, here's what you have to do first. Define the doubt in your life. Figure out what is causing you to doubt your salvation. If you, every week, Every month, every year, find yourself coming back, doubting your salvation. Take the time to work through that question and figure out where is that coming from. My story, some of you know my story, some of you don't. I trusted in Jesus Christ at the age of six. Little bitty kid, first grade, grew up in church, knew the Bible stories, trusted in Jesus. As I got into youth group, as many of you guys go through the story, you just almost dread the invitation at the end of the service. <laughs> you're like, oh no, not again. And you really dread going to Falls Creek because you're gonna see hundreds of kids, teenagers, streaming down the aisles and you're trying to deal with in your own mind, am I saved, am I not saved? Through that process, what I began to realize is the reason I was doubting my salvation 
is because I wanted a cool testimony like other people. <laughs> uh, the reason I was doubting my salvation is because I didn't have the same emotions that other people maybe did around their testimony. I was saved at six. I mean, you only get into so much trouble by the time you get to six. Like, you haven't seen the fullness of all you could do with your life and running away from Jesus. And, and I was bothered by the fact that my testimony didn't look like or sound like other people's, and, and I wasn't emotional. I cry at weird times, like uh, Instagram videos of a military family returning home to greet their children, or I cry when I'm going through my kids' clothes in the attic and realizing they're not going to fit in those clothes anymore. Like, those are the times I cry, and so I felt like my experience just doesn't look like other people's. It's going to be hard to deal with your doubt until you figure out where that doubt is coming from. So step number one is to figure out where's this doubt coming from? What, what am I really doubting? Number two, work from the core to the edges. You may have some theological, biblical questions out here. We'll help with those. There's time for those. What we need to deal with in our lives are the questions of what in the world can take care of my sin and my death. Every person on earth faces two problems that they can never overcome on their own, sin and death. We live in a broken world and we are broken people and every one of us knows that the wages of sin is death. You can't escape that. No person on earth can escape that. But Jesus has dealt with both of those. And so we begin at the core of our life. Who or what am I trusting to deal with my sin and my death? Step number three. I'm going to seek wise counsel. If you are doubting your salvation, and I'm going to come back to this in a few minutes at the end of the sermon, if you are doubting your salvation, the most important thing you will do today is reach out to someone and say, can you walk with me through this? Can you talk with me about this? Can I share with you what, what I'm feeling? If you don't have anybody to reach out to that you feel comfortable with right now, Please, I beg you, email me. Find me during the invitation. Find me at the end of the service and say, Pastor, I've dealt with this question for a long time and I have to nail down the question of whether or not I'm truly saved. I have to nail down what would happen to me if my life ended today. This is not, not, not something to go through on your, on your own. You need somebody to walk with you. You need a trusted friend, a mentor, to walk with you through this. Number four, Here's what that person is going to do with you. They are going to tell you to look to the word of God. They are going to take you to scripture, and they're going to show you passage after passage after passage that speaks to the good news of Jesus, just speaks to this gift of salvation. And if you say to yourself, man, I would really love to have a list of those verses, EmmausOKC.org slash doubt. We have those verses for you. Listen on there that you can access and print out and say, I need scripture that points me to the truth of salvation, that you can know that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And you can know that Jesus has said that his father holds in his hands those who are his and no one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. And that you would know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
and you would know that he who began a good work in your life, he's gonna bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And you can know that he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And you can know that we're able to draw near to the throne of God and find mercy and assurance of faith. You can know these things are true, why? Because God's word says it. And you turn and you look there for hope. And God's word speaks these promises to our hearts And God's word also gives warnings that say, stay on this path. This is the path that leads to life. Number five, when you look to scripture, you know where you're looking? You're looking at Christ. You're looking at the one who is savior and Lord of the world. You're looking at the one who's the alpha and the omega. You're looking at the one who is God with us. You're looking at the one who is the Messiah. You're looking at the one who came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Look to Christ. If you are doubting your salvation, look to Jesus. If you want to know how to be saved, look to Jesus. If you're running out of energy in life, look to Jesus. We look to him. He died and he rose again in my place. That Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves and we look to him. Number six, we begin to look for evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we need other people to help us look for that evidence of the Holy Spirit. How can I know that I'm saved? How can I have assurance of salvation? There is evidence that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in your life. What does that look like? Well, I'm more loving. I love God and I love others. I'm full of joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I'm drawn to the church. I'm connected to the people of God and the word of God. I'm obeying the commands of God. If you're like, are you just making those things up? Nope, First John. <laughs> That's all of those things come out of First John. That the work of the Holy Spirit in our life will show up in our lives. And we're not just talking about yesterday. We're talking about the broad sweep. And sometimes we are our own worst enemies when it comes to this. When you look at your life, you only see the things that are wrong, and you need a friend to look into your life and say, no, I actually see the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Like, I see God doing this in your life. Let others help you look. And then number seven, this is the final one. To have assurance of salvation, we look up and we look ahead. We look up to Jesus who reigns over all, and we look ahead to eternal life. How can I know that I'm saved? What is the direction of your life? Where is your life heading? What are your desires? Where are you looking in the future? My hope is in Jesus. He's overcome sin and death. He reigns forever. I'm looking forward to eternity with him. That is the direction my life is headed. Three three quick questions that you might be dealing with this morning. Number one, okay, Owen, I really need to nail this down. Should I pray the prayer again? <laughs> like this is, and if you're not, if you haven't grown up in church, if you haven't spent a lot of time around church, that language may sound really strange. If you did grow up in church, this idea of praying the prayer is, is I walk down an aisle or I talk to someone and I want to pray again to trust in Jesus for salvation. And if we're not careful, we're looking again for something that we would do to bring assurance of salvation. My question for you, if you say, should I pray that prayer again to be saved? My question is why? What are you doing? Are you trying just to deal with your conscience? 
Or are you saying, I want to sit down. I want to rest. When you constantly doubt your salvation, it's impossible to rest in Christ. But what Christ has called us to is to rest. To know that he is taking care of everything that you need and you rest in him. And if that's the prayer you want to pray, pray that. And then pray tomorrow and pray the day after that and pray the day after that because your hope is found in Jesus. Okay, should I get baptized again? Now I know what it means to be saved. I'm not really sure that I was saved the first time when I, when I was baptized. Should, should I do that again? Find a trusted friend. <laughs> That's not a question I can walk you through from the stage. That's a question we need to think through together. Like, what, what does it look like to be baptized? Baptism is our profession of faith in Jesus. When I talked to Colin and Maggie about their baptism for today, we talked about we're baptized one time, it's the starting line, it gets us going. And then God uses the church to remind us of what it is to be saved, to lead us forward. Should I rededicate my life? Yes, and do it tomorrow, <laughs> and do it the next day, and do it the next Sunday when you gather with the people of God that we're coming back and saying, God, I trust in you. What about my kids? What do you do if you're talking with your kids about questions of salvation? Well, EmmausOKC.org slash doubt is a good place to start. We've got that for you. Pray with them and for them. Point them to Jesus and in your own life model what it looks like to repent of sins and trust in Jesus. They're gonna see that. They're gonna see the way you approach faith and that will help them to know how to approach Jesus. Romans chapter 10, verse nine. How can I know that I'm saved? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As a little kid, growing up in that little rural church, green carpet on the floor, pews, wooden signs in the front that told you how many people attended last week and last year and how much money was given, growing up in that church, Asking questions as a little kid about my salvation, there was a song that we would sing that became my lifeline. And it was the hymn, Because He Lives. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Here in just a moment, after I pray for us, we're gonna sing the hymn, Because He Lives. And if you're here this morning and you don't know whether or not you are a Christian, can we pray with you? We want to pray with you. Respond. Ask questions. Sing this song as your hope in Jesus this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, I keep thinking about that quote at the beginning that the work of the enemy, the work of Satan, is to cause Christians to think they're not going to heaven and cause non-Christians to think that they're okay and they are going to heaven. It's so easy to get confused on this topic. And God, when we doubt our salvation, it holds us back from the peace and the joy and the life that you have planned for us. God, I pray for, for parents and grandparents who are trying to walk their kids and grandkids through this question. God, I pray for teenagers here that are looking back 
to their own story of trusting you who are trying to think about salvation in their lives. God, I pray that there are senior citizens in our service today who so many years their life has been haunted by this question of whether or not they're truly saved. God, today would they know that they can sit in that chair of faith, they can rest in what Jesus has done for them, and they can know that they will be with you forever. God, I pray, I pray as we stand and sing this hymn, God, that your Holy Spirit would call people to respond, that we could sing this hymn as a declaration of faith in Jesus, and God, that we could go from this place resting, moving forward, living the life that you've called us to. And so, Father, we give our lives to you at this moment, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.